that's why it became so important for me to, to be able to help moms because I know that it doesn't just help that person. It helps their kids. It helps their partners. It helps their friends. It's a, it's a real mushroom effect. It's a beautiful thing. And that's why I began to feel so passionate about it was because I felt all of those things. And I feel like I probably suffered for too many years with some of those things, sort of feeling like, oh, I'm the only one that wakes up at 2 a.m. I'm the only one who can't fall asleep because holy cow, I didn't get all the things done. And so therefore my day sucked and I can't even, you know, and then you can't fall asleep. So I'm not a stranger to that. This isn't, you know, the way that I live now has not been the way I've always lived. Motherhood is a full-time job, except there's no clocking out. Hi, I'm Allison, doctor of physical therapy, mom of two, and women's health nerd. Join me as we dive deep into motherhood and answer the questions that everyone wants to know, but no one wants to ask. So grab a coffee, water, or wine, and get comfy while we chat with some of the top women's health practitioners who support moms from fertility through empty nest to improve our mental, emotional, and physical well-being. This is the All Out Motherhood Podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm here today with Dr. Rashmi Shram, and I have actually known Dr. Shram for, gosh, um, at least... Uh, I'd say 13 years, um, 12 years. I can't remember exactly when I first moved to Florida. Uh, she actually became my physician and she was practicing family medicine and women's health at the time. And she kind of kicked my butt in grad school and my thyroid was having some issues <laughs> with stress and sleep and mindfulness and, you know, being a little more health conscious. So she kind of kicked my butt into gear and um, helped me with that and uh, totally in a natural way without having to do medication, which was, you know, the next thing that we were going to go to. So I'm so excited to chat with you today and um, learn a little bit more about what you're doing now because you've actually kind of changed positions. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, a lot about mindfulness and um, kind of failing bravely for the sake of your kids, which I'm super excited about having having young ones and kind of, you know, learning how to do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and what you're doing now. Allison, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. I am a board-certified family physician. I've been practicing for 20 years. I'm also um, a certified integrative health and wellness coach. And I also am certified in uh, meditation teacher as well as Ayurveda teacher and then yoga nidra as well. So um, what I do now is I combine these ancient wisdom practices into, I, I do have a small um, DPC practice, which is a direct primary care practice practice myself. And really what I'm focusing my attention and energy on now is my integrative coaching practice um, where I help women one-on-one. -on -one. And what I do now in my coaching practice is I help high achieving women who are feeling overworked, overwhelmed, to let go of guilt and tap into inner peace and joy so they can live the energetic and purposeful lives that they deserve. Uh, and that's so amazing and so needed right now. And um I definitely feel that myself because there's there's a ton of guilt that goes along with trying to, I mean, motherhood in general, but also like trying to build your business and trying to build your career, um, whether it's yours or not. And, you know, just wanting to better yourself, whether it's through education or in taking that time to do all of that, along with building up the path that you're on 
it takes time away from your family and takes time away from other things, your your relationship. And sometimes it takes, um, you know, some extra financial support. And those are things that just really get to you and kind of stress you out and make you feel guilty as a, as a mom and as a, a parent. So I'm really excited about what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Letting go of the guilt is the first step in moving mm-hmm. forward. And I'm certainly gu- you know, guilty of that myself. It <laughs> is just part and parcel of being a mom, I think. And I would be lying if I told you I never felt guilty about doing one thing or the other. It's just, you know, it's recognizing it, bringing awareness to it, having some compassion around it and allowing it to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having compassion for ourselves is a, um, sometimes a hard pill to swallow. It is. It really is. I absolutely agree. So what are some some things that you work on um, specifically with women in this uh, in this realm? Yeah, so we really um, so coaching itself is a process driven model at the center of integrative um, coaching is mindfulness and meditation. And around it, there's really a process It's a growth promoting process. And so it's my job to very gently and very compassionately shine a light on limiting factors on those blind spots that we all have and really promote growth and promote it in a way that's very, very meaningful for my client, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yes. And um, I think we all have those limiting beliefs and, you know, we get inside our heads and we have those negative conversations with ourselves, especially in the middle of the night when we're lying awake and stressing about a conversation that we had a week ago. And, you know, just things like that, or that we're, we don't deserve to put the time and effort into what we really want because our family's needs come first or, you know, different things like that. So that's really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is such a good point. And, I think every single human being has that experience of waking up at 2 a.m. and replaying a conversation from 10, 12, 14, maybe even two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of rumination is actually um, very receptive, believe it or not, to a practice of meditation or mindfulness. And so um, there's so many different, you know, kind of ways that people view what meditation and mindfulness is. Is it okay if I just do a short kind of definition of those. Absolutely. Yeah. So so mindfulness really just means or mindful awareness just means being in the present moment without judgment and with curiosity. So that means it conveys an openness. And so the opposite of mindfulness means ruminating about the past or worrying about the future. And meditation is just one way to practice mindfulness, right? So in meditation, there's so many different kinds. I teach a couple different kinds. In one of those, we just repeat a mantra, for example, um, and then in the other, it's fully guided. And really, the only um, couple of things that people have to do is pay attention to the present moment. And the more we do that, the stronger those neuron, you know, that neuronal connections get, and the easier we are to be able to let go of those 2 a.m. thoughts. It doesn't mean they don't show up. They might still show up, but it's the process of going, that's not really helpful for me. Let me focus on something else. And it might just be your breath and you might fall back asleep. Oh, that's that's so awesome. And I've never actually heard those described quite like that. And I really, really like your definition of those, especially the way you threw in the word curiosity with mindfulness. You don't hear that thrown in there a lot. And it, it really does go hand in hand now that you bring that up. And that that's a really um, neat way to describe them for people. 
you know, going kind of going down that rabbit hole, what are some mindfulness techniques that you use with your clients? Absolutely. And this is actually a lot of the most basic stuff that I do with my clients. And so um, most of the time, most of the time, these women are very high achieving and most of the time they're really beating up on themselves. And, you know, for all the reasons that you talked about, which is that society kind of has almost set us up for this, you know, sort of like guilt, uh, nonstop guilt and so we really start to assess what the what those are. So some of the tools that really we start to work on right away are journaling. So like just a thought download. That's one of the first things that we do. We look at everything, Allison. So we look at because whole health isn't just mindfulness. It isn't just your work. It isn't just you as a relationship with you know your kids. It it really encompasses you know how are your relationships and how much are you moving? How much rest are you getting? What kind of foods are you eating? And so we look at the big picture. And I actually have a whole. It's like a ten page. It's it's kind of overwhelming at first that we go through and we say, okay, well, where are you here and where do you want to be? And, you know, so we, we really start to assess it. And so the very first thing that we do is bring awareness. And I'm telling you about 80% of the time, just filling that stuff out, just taking an hour out and going, oh my God, I never thought about this before. You know, what, what do I want from, you know, spirituality, which is really, you know, the definition is finding a higher purpose and connection and it is part of our health. And so really, as we start to bring awareness, a lot of things begin to change right away. Uh, and that's so nice to hear that you can see changes starting to come about after just making some small changes or not even changes, just kind of realizations, not just um, things that, okay, you have to work on this for 12 weeks and do this every day. And, you know, it's not as overwhelming as a lot of people might initially think it, it will be to kind of overcome these type of thoughts and, um, you know, get out of their own head, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Now that we've talked a little bit about mindfulness, and I know we're going to weave it in here um, with everything else, but let's talk a little bit about failing bravely, because those two words you don't normally think go together, you know, but it's so important that we do learn how to fail and fail bravely for our children's sake and for our own sake. Just learning how to do that, though, is, is a whole other process. <laughs> oh, for sure. Right. So you and I, you know, you, you know, you've got your doctorate, I've got a doctorate that didn't happen by getting a single F or probably even a single C in our lives. Right. So a lot of times when we hear the word failure, the connotation that it's a trigger word, it's for sure a trigger word for almost all of us. And it, you know, the connotations there are, we weren't trying. It implies all kinds of things of unworthiness, of shame, all of these other things. And so one way to really look at failure is, number one, as an adult, there will be zero growth in our lives without failure. That's just a proven fact by, you know, uh, we've looked at studies. And so if we want to grow as adults, we have to take chances. Taking chances means we're going to have failures and we're going to have successes. And so you, you really don't see a, a success story without the failures that are in there, whether it's about business or parenting or personal growth or professional growth, really anything like that. And so one way to really flip the script on you know, failing and, and, and making failing bravely part of our everyday mindset is to look at okay, 
this is what I tried to do. I tried to get from point A to point B and I took these steps. These steps did not work. And therefore, there are my data points. I'm not going to repeat that again. And, you know, it's, you know, I don't really think of the word failure all that much, even though I can tell you if, if we looked like certainly a business standpoint, there, people would say, oh, you failed there, you failed there, you failed there. But that's just focusing, you know, that that's that negativity bias. So we really have to be aware of it and, 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 and really look at the flip side of it is without, you know, failure, you cannot have success. So they go hand in hand. And it's important for our children, I think, you know, I have teenagers now and I've already started to see, I mean, they were, you know, as girls, the the thing about being, you know, kind of these outspoken women is we produce outspoken children, (laughs) like very confident children, which is great. Yes. Which is great. We want them to do that. But really there is a transition and this is also well-documented just in, you know, developmental scientists as well, you know, middle school, high school, there starts to be a lot more societal pressure on them. And there is a big drop in confidence. And I've actually seen that with them. And so they actually start to try harder and they're so much harder on themselves. And they are both incredibly driven, kind, you know, hardworking young women. They are gifted students, gifted athletes, and yet they are so hard on themselves. And I see so much of how perhaps I was in them and none of it has ever been spoken about in that way. And so we've started a conversation and and we talk very, very openly about self-compassion. We talk about that failure is part of success and it's okay. Um, You know, it's okay if you try really hard and you don't make X, Y, or Z team. It doesn't mean that you are a failure. It means that this part did not work. It, perhaps we can even call it a failure, but sort of disassociating ourselves and our self-worth from the work or the study that we do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you just said something right there at the end, separating your self-worth from that failure. That's such a hard thing to do and something that I think it starts when we're little that like you said, no one really talks about, no one really has been talking about. And I can see things in my four-year-old or soon to be four-year-old that are are like we just talked about, that she will knock something over on accident, completely on accident, just walking by it, brush her shoulder and knock it off. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, mama. You know, and it's just that I can see the feeling of, oh my gosh, I did something wrong. And it's like, no, you just hit something on the table. You're total like it was an accident. But it's those little accidents that we all have throughout the day that aren't a big deal that even as when we're little, we turn into big deals and it just kind of grows from there. Yeah. And that's so important for you to have that awareness and for you to just bring that awareness to her as well. And and continue to stay open with with really all of those conversations. I think that's what's important about parenting for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And really setting an example, because I can definitely tell that a lot of what she's showing is coming from me. You know, it's a lot of like, oh my gosh, I did this wrong. I'm I'm pretty hard on myself. I'm a 2 a.m. like thinker. And um, I mean, you know, from whenever we work together and <laughs> it's just, it, it's hard to get out of your head like that and to remember that you're setting an example for your children and how you react to failures or, you know, 
small accidents like that are how they're learning to react. You are so right. And I think, uh, you know, if I were to look back, I when my kids were really, really little, I do think that I spent a large portion of that, you know, kind of mired in guilt. And um, also, you know, I talk pretty openly about just feeling very anxious uh, and worrying um, a good bit. And honestly, it was the spiraling down for me personally, not that it was, you know, so evident to the outside world, but that's actually, you know, at my low point was when I tapped back into meditation, I had had some experience with it. And because it literally saved me, you know, I practiced it for years and years. And then I went back to, you know, really learn, um, because, you know, even just um, it, not even professionally, just teaching it to my staff or teaching it, you know, here and there, I was seeing a big difference. And so for me, that's why it became so important for me to, to be able to help moms, because I know that it doesn't just help that person. It helps their kids. It helps their partners. It helps their friends. It's a it's a real mushroom effect. It's a beautiful thing. And that's why I began to feel so passionate about it was because I felt all of those things. And I feel like I probably suffered for too many years with some of those things, sort of feeling like, oh, I'm the only one that wakes up at 2 a.m. I'm the only one who can't fall asleep because, holy cow, I didn't get all the things done. And so therefore my day sucked and I can't even, you know, and then you can't fall asleep. So I'm not a stranger to that. This isn't, you know, the way that I live now has not been the way I've always lived. You know, talking about kind of your journey with that and everything, how old were your children when you kind of started to make that transition and make the realization for yourself that you wanted to turn back to meditation and set that example? Yeah, I think they were probably, so this was about 10 or 12 years ago. And it uh, was at a point where from the outside world, everything looked fantastic and great. Um, and, and they really were, honestly, if you were to look objectively. Uh, but I was you know, starting to have a lot of physical issues as well. I was having some digestive issues, chronic stress, um, and I was having migraines that I you know, couldn't quite figure out. I, as you know, do not love prescribing medicines, nor do I like taking them. And so I was reaching around and, you know, really trying to study Ayurveda. And that's really when the the meditation part fell. So probably, you know, 10, 12 years ago, keep in mind, too, that I was born in India and I lived with my grandmother, who was a very spiritual person. And so it was something that felt very natural to me. And I was always very drawn to it, um, that kind of spiritual mm-hmm. practice. Um, not a religious one, but just a spiritual practice. And so yeah. it was, you know, intermittently, I would sort of play around with it. I had found a group in college to meditate with. I, I call myself a, you know, a, a closet meditator because even my closest friends like never knew. I'd be like, oh, I'm just in the library, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so it, it really wasn't until I, be- I began to embrace it fully and, and start to talk about it. Uh, that I think mm-hmm. it had a, a huge impact on my kids' lives as well. The closet, med- I like that term. <laughs> I think there's a lot of it that are, a lot of us that are, um, you know, we've kind of tried it. And I- I'm honestly a horrible meditator. I was just talking to someone about that the other day. And I love Yoga Nidra. That is, I can do that and and guided meditations. But whenever you tell me to sit with my breath for even just five minutes and just let my thoughts, you know, float in and out, I have I have a real problem with that. <laughs> um, so what are some tips that you um, give to moms? Because I think there's a lot of women in general who are like that. We just have trouble 
not just, I mean, not that you have to shut off your brain, but just letting your thoughts go kind of, you know, the acknowledging them and letting them pass through is very difficult for us because all of a sudden we're sitting there watching our breath and then we're making a grocery list in our head, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And um, we know that that is a natural occurrence, right? So by the way, Allison, there's no such person as a horrible meditator. Uh, (laughs) It counts. counts. It it does count. Even five minutes. That makes me feel better. It does. It does. And and that is a very, very valid and common question that I get. And so one of the mis- misconceptions is that every meditation has to be great in order for it to really be valid. And that's not true at all. Think about working out. You know, how many times have you slogged through a workout and it sucked, but you knew that you had to get through it, right? It's almost mm-hmm. exactly the same. And that moment that you realize and recognize that you've gone away from whether it's your breath or a mantra or whatever, that is the magic sauce. That is the magic moment. And so the minute or the second that you realize that you're in a thought and you very gently come back to whether it's a mantra or the breath, as you do that a little bit more and a little bit more, that becomes easier to do. Again, neuroplasticity, right? And we've we've literally yep. shown this um, with functional MRIs, with PET scans. We see that these connections become stronger and stronger, and we see that resilience to stress becomes stronger and stronger in longer-term meditators. And I can certainly tell you that that's true for me as well. So one of the things is just to have some compassion and stay open with it. And if you like yoga nidra, if you like a guided meditation, do that. Spend some time in that. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. I know a lot of people think too that when you think of meditation, you think of like sitting for 30 minutes or a prolonged period of time. But I'm sure working with your clients when they're just starting out, sometimes it's very short periods that you can actually start with that are still beneficial. Absolutely. They really are. And one of the things that I teach um, folks as well is breath work. And in fact, I just finished a workshop last night. And what that can do is really bring our attention, intention very consciously into the present moment. And there are, you know, pranayama, you know, this already is a, you know, as, as, mm-hmm. a, as a yogi, it's the fourth limb of yoga. Yoga isn't just the asanas. And when we combine breath work, as well as even a short meditation, they can have synergistic effects as far as increases in dopamine, increases in in, in serotonin. Those are our feel-good hormones. And we start to see uh, changes in the brain within just 11 weeks or so of practice. And it's pretty astounding. That is amazing. Yeah. 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 So every, every second counts is one of the first things we talk about. And we combine the breath work. And I do teach a, um, in my opinion, a very, very special mantra-based meditation. It took me several years to finish my certification. And it is based in, you know, Vedic astrology. It, um, you basically uh, would, I would, you know, have to go to my source, to my mentor, to collect your mantra based on where you were born, the time of birth and all that. And it has to do with vibrations. And that was actually what clicked for me years ago, which was again, also why I went back to pursue that in particular. And Mm -hmm. that to me is an easy, effortless way to meditate, if that makes sense. That's a great way to sum it up. And, and a really cool, uh, cool way that you went back to it. The Vedic astrology is is very interesting once you really get down and, you know, down into it. 
Yeah, I, I cannot um, pretend that I understand it at all, but I do have a source who will fetch, you know, based on Vedic mathematics and astrology, uh, that particular, um, you know, primordial sound mantra. Going back to your clinical practice versus your practice now, you know, you've kind of been in both worlds as like very traditional medicine versus kind of a nice um East meets West, you know, um, meshing of the two. And, you know, what are your results compare? You know, are you seeing a lot better results with people's health and wellness um, in one versus the other? I, I, I'm, I know your answer, but <laughs> <laughs> I still want to ask. <laughs> yeah, hands down, you know, and we don't necessarily want to compare, but Hands down, the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing, which is integrative health, is because I truly believe in it, and I think we're really lacking in it. Uh, there, it's no, sh you know, there's nothing terribly um, wrong in terms of how allopathic medicine is run, except it's very incomplete. And, you know, it's okay for the acute situation. If you have a pneumonia, I will treat you with antibiotics. If you um, need surgery, trauma surgeons are going to do an amazing job. If you have cancer, chemo, but what happens to chronic migraines, what happens to chronic hypertension, diabetes, obesity, those are really the things that are killing us as heart disease. And that is a lifestyle issue. And we simply do not have any capacity within that 15 to 20 minute framework to even begin to address them. Yeah, I think you pretty much just summed that up in a nutshell very well. <laughs> um, and, and I've experienced that in, in both, both sides, both professionally and personally as a patient. So it's nice to hear that coming from someone more on the, you know, medical clinical side of that. What are some other things that you talk about with your clients now regarding that realm of like failing bravely and getting out of your head and, you know, besides mindfulness? Right. Yeah. So um, it really just has to do with mindset. Right. And it has to do with being able to try new things and mm -hmm. to learn from new things and whether they're successes or failures. And so yeah, I talked about journaling and a lot of that has to do with really collecting data. And so, for example, I'll tell you probably one of my bigger failures in the recent you know, months or so has been I hired and paid someone to do my website that I didn't know very well, didn't have the greatest vibes, but really felt a little bit of obligation to pay a lot of money. And, you know, weeks went by, weeks went by, many weeks went by. And intuitively, I knew that this just, you know, there was really, it was either incompetence or an inability for the, you know, for this to be produced, if I already paid. And instead of just, you know, cutting my losses, I stayed the course for probably another five months or so, really trying and, you know, when push came to shove, it became very apparent this person just could not produce the work and was not willing to give me back this very large chunk of money. And oh. I did allow myself to wallow in a bit of self-pity and uh, felt like, you know, God, I should have number one, you know, that I, I should have done things so differently, et cetera, et cetera. I allowed that for a, a day. I did because, you know, you do have to feel your emotions. Um, it's very unhealthy for us to shove those things down. Um, we do have mm -hmm. to process them in order to process them. We have to feel them as uncomfortable as they may be. So running away from them is not a good idea. And so mm -hmm. I really just very intentionally and consciously said, dear God, like I have got to get over this. And so 
I had a lot of self-pity. I limited it to 24 hours. It doesn't mean those thoughts didn't come back a day or two later, but I showed some self-compassion on myself, said this is, you know, this is a data point. And the only way to really get this done is to just move on. Because if I go after this money, it's going to waste X, Y, and Z time. You know, so it so that's just one example of that was a failure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was also a failure on my part on multiple levels of, you know, I could have negotiated. No, I'm just going to pay you a quarter until you produce this. I could have negotiated. That's what I did eventually now. Um, and I, mm. I just kind of built my own website after that. It sort of just propelled me to be like, how hard can this be? Um, mm-hmm. Which I wasn't doing. I had I had that sort of helplessness sort of feeling back then. I was like, oh, this person must know what they're doing. And also to trust my intuition. That's my other reminder is to trust my intuition. Because if I'd been honest with myself all along, I really never felt like I could trust this person. And yet it was like this overwhelming sense of like compassion or pity or whatever it was that I, you know, made this gigantic payment. Absolutely. And um, I, I think we've all kind of done something like that similar. You know, I, I had a similar instance where it was there was a, a time frame that you had to, you know, make this decision and and it sounded really great and um it it turned out not to be. <laughs> you know, and it was someone that I thought I would really click with and could work with and it just it it didn't jive and and it was a decent sum of money and it's it's hard to swallow that and I'm I'm really glad to hear that you did let yourself wallow for, you know, 24 hours. That's a really nice way to look at it. It's like giving yourself some space to just get it out of your system, acknowledge the emotions, and then kind of helping yourself, you know, move on. And I like how you look at it as a a data point. That's, that's a really great, you know, a spot to learn from, where a lot of times we don't look at failures like that, whereas they, that's what we should be doing is learn, you know, we always want to say, learn from history you know, history repeats itself if we don't learn from it. So using those data points to learn from and grow, that's that's a huge um, mindset shift. For sure. And then the other thing, too, is the old me would have been like needing to prove myself right with this particular person. Like I would maybe have even talked to a lawyer. I would have maybe even, you know, like all of these things, which I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it would have prolonged the pain for me. And Mm -hmm. I just when I decided to cut the cord, it was, you know, Brene Brown. You know, I study a lot of her work. She's so brilliant. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that really I and I remind myself of this all the time is, you know, one of the things she says is, I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. And, you know, she talks a lot about thinking like a scientist and, you know, what that's what scientists do is we don't become attached to the result. We really just look at, okay, this process didn't work. How else can I get there? I still want this really good website. How else can I get there with the money that I have left? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, I love that quote. I hadn't heard that quote from her and I, I really do love that. And that definitely resonates with me and I'm sure it will with a lot of people. But yeah, on the, on the website, that that's, websites are tricky. They're a pain and, you know. I don't know what platform you decided to go with, but it's just, it's a whole learning curve. So, um, you know, kudos to you for taking that on and, and deciding like, I'm just going to do this myself. (laughs) Well, it was, it was sort of a bit of a cornered approach in that how much do I want to pay someone else and who else am I going to trust? And it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean I'm not going to trust someone ever again. Of course I will. It just means intuition. What else would you like to add about your practice now and some of your, your coaching 
and and things that you're doing? Yeah, you know, I think coaching is kind of a hot topic right now. It's a little bit unregulated. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the Wild West, I think of. Um, and so I would say if you're thinking about coaching, do a little bit of work beforehand before you choose your coach and look to see, you know, what their training was, what their background is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what kind of results they've produced for other folks first. And plus, I would say, look at investing in yourself, you know, and that's the first thing to really start to look at for sure. Until I really started to do that, I really was not just suffering, but also in a very um, stuck place for myself and not in Mm -hmm. that growth mindset that is so essential for success as so many, you know, in, in relationships and, you know, in all kinds of different areas. And so to really look at your own blind spots is so difficult and to have them shown to you in a compassionate way is life altering for sure. And it certainly was for me. And I've, you know, I've had a coach, I still have a coach now, um, because I see the huge high value in it. And I would say, if you're thinking about, you know, hiring a coach, do it sooner rather than later. That's really the, the first thing that and the, my clients that have graduated from will say over and over again, oh my God, I wish I'd done this sooner. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the takeaway a lot of times with a lot of things, but <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's great to hear. And thinking about hiring a coach can sometimes be overwhelming. But like you said, investing in yourself is is the first step and getting over that. Like, am I really worth X, Y, Z amount of dollars to, you know, put this time and effort in? And sometimes the feeling like we're worthy to do it is the biggest boundary or biggest hurdle that we have to get over. 100%. Always, always, always. And it was for me too, Allison. It was my biggest, you know, I had so many pain points that I, that someone could have helped me with if I had just, you know, allowed that to happen. And, you know, I, I just had all this conditioning was like, why can't I get it right myself? And you can, but what does it cost you? How long does it take you? So it, there's no fear or shame in this. It's just about, investing in yourself and looking at what that return might look like. You know, we talk about ROI in business. I think it's really important to look at what's your return on investment on yourself. You're your, basically your highest worth, right? <laughs> Without mm-hmm. you, your family wouldn't, you know, probably do nearly as well as they are now. Certainly your career, everything else is affected by your own mind, body, spirit health. And so that's really the question that I think as we start to ask that and start to be open to what might come up, um, that I think that's mm-hmm. what opens up more doors. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I really like that you just compared it to the ROI of business, you know, because that's ROI of business. It's it's like a no brainer, you know, but when we look at the ROI on investing in ourselves, then we start to hesitate. And, you know, it's like, why, why are we hesitating on that when we'll obviously do that for our, our business or, you know, work for our company or, you know, things like that. So that's, that's a great way to look at it and kind of um, shed some light on the way we should be looking at it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's just conditioning. I was looking at it the same way as well. It's just social conditioning. It's not, you know, uh, we didn't come up with that thought ourselves. It's definitely been conditioned into us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and catching up. It's been quite a while, but it was good. And I, I think, uh, what you're doing is really amazing. And and I'm glad you did make the jump and make the switch over to kind of the um, coaching and, you know, meshing those two Eastern and Western 
medicine together. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for joining me on the All Out Motherhood podcast. Want more? Head over to alloutmotherhood.com for show notes, links, and discounts from today's episode. And while you're there, be sure to join the All Out Motherhood Collective Facebook community, where you'll find even more support to get you to that positive test and through all the rest of your motherhood journey. See you next time.